As you know, or perhaps may not know, on Sunday evenings at the moment we're looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians and the general heading for that is Shining the Stars. And uh, it's quite sad actually in this sort of where we are, where we live, that uh, because of the, well we don't get many clear nights anyway, but when we do get one, because of the light pollution we can't, we don't see the stars in all their glory. But of course the darker the night, then the brighter that the stars shine. And that's true of us in this world in which we live. The darker the world in which we live, the brighter our light should shine. And as a subheading, as it were, this evening, I'd like to think of us as shining as stars by standing firm. And I know that most of us try to go through life avoiding any sort of confrontation. Because, well, let's be honest, it makes us feel uncomfortable and uh, basically we don't like it. And very often when we're put in a situation of confrontation, well, we react wrongly. We say the wrong things, we become either defensive or we become aggressive. Let's just be honest, we so very often get it wrong. Yet confrontation is not always about a face-to-face with someone. It's not always a personal, if you like, standoff with someone else. It can just be a situation that we find ourselves in, that we are confronted by. Sometimes those uh, situations can be life-changing. They can be, we come to a point, if you like, like a crossroads, when we know that because of this situation, we realise that our life is going to be very different from then on. And for example, and uh, just to show that I'm still a bit of an old romantic, you know, a young person, you're going to meet that certain someone, and uh, from then on, there's no one else in the world like them, and your life changes. You marry, your life changes. And uh, probably a lot of you know you become a parent, and life's never the same again. Your life is changed. Your circumstances have changed. As you get older, you leave school. Your life has changed. You find out what a good and easy life you've been having. And then you come and you retire. And that, again, is a challenge because it's a change. Or you find out that you're going to be made redundant. Or maybe you get promoted. And your life has changed. Your situation has changed. And then perhaps someone who you know or your loved one becomes terminally ill. Or you yourself are taken ill. These are just a few of the the situations and circumstances in everyday life that we, we find ourselves. And if we, this evening as Christians, if we've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we've been confronted. We've been confronted by the Gospel. And we've been confronted by our sin. And we've been confronted by judgment. 
And we have realised that we can only be saved by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done in taking the punishment and the judgment of our sin upon himself upon the cross. And the result of that is that our lives, even our very nature, is changed and we've been born again. And this passage that we're going to look at this evening, which is is, uh, 1 Philippians 27 to uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, is one that confronts us. It challenges us. It takes us from that position of just thinking of becoming a Christian and being a Christian. It takes us out of our comfort zone. So if you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, which is on page 1178 or 1824, depending on which of the church Bibles you may have. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It would be quite easy this evening to spend an awful long time just looking at that first part of verse 27, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. But time doesn't allow us to do that. You'll be pleased to know. And uh, also I want to keep within the context of the passage. This statement uh, we see here can also be translated (coughs) only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ or only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is exhorting these believers in Philippi to live or to conduct themselves in a manner or a way that is worthy of the gospel. That is to say that they are to behave in a manner that reflects what has happened in their lives. It's not about trying to achieve a level of Christian status, but living up to what we already are in Christ. That is, citizens, not of this world, but citizens of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, living our lives with Christ as King. So we do not live by the standards of this world, we are called to live by the standard of Christ's kingdom. Now, very often when we mention subjects like this, we, 
because of our human frailties and our sinful nature, we immediately start thinking about the activities of others and what they do. And especially the things that they do that we perhaps think that they shouldn't do as Christians. But if we're honest, we should examine our own lives and ask ourselves, am I living in a manner that shows that I've been born again by the Spirit of God? Am I living as a citizen of heaven or as a citizen of this world? The full implication of that is something that each one of us has to work out for ourselves in the light of God's word. It's not for me or for anyone else to judge. It is not for us to judge others. We're told to judge ourselves, not to judge other people. And what Paul is particularly focusing on here is something slightly different. He's not focusing on just how we may uh, behave, our activities that we might partake in, some things some will do and others think they shouldn't and all the rest of it. He's not looking just at those, if you like, secondary issues and secondary points. The clue is in the first two words of that verse. Whatever happens, and the result of that is standing firm. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying, what's on show is on how we behave when we're faced with these circumstances. That is where he's saying how we should conduct our lives when we're faced with opposition to the gospel. When things come along in life, whether it's suffering, whether it's suffering the abuse of others, or whether it's suffering perhaps just the everyday things of life, whether it's redundancy, whether it's bereavement or illness. <clears throat> you see, the Apostle Paul was a realist. He told it like it is. He didn't preach a false gospel that many would do today. He doesn't say, come to Jesus and all your life's going to be a bed of roses. He didn't try to fool people with a prosperity gospel that says, come to Jesus and you'll not have any financial, health or relationship problems. And if you do, well, that's because you're doing something wrong. He doesn't say everything in life is just going to be tickety-boo. And incidentally, the word tickety isn't in the dictionary. He doesn't say that. No, the gospel is that you and I are sinners. We're rebels. We've rebelled against God. We're sinners. And we face eternal punishment. But God in his mercy has chosen to redeem us through Christ and give us eternal life. And as a result of this, we will suffer persecution and opposition 
just as Christ himself did and all the apostles and the disciples. Because we are living to please Christ our King. In this verse he is encouraging them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of that truth. Whatever happens, in this he is referring to the opposition that they will face for the gospel. Because they are living by the standards of Christ the King instead of the standards of this world. And what is evident to all is how they conduct themselves and how we conduct ourselves in these times of adversity. This is how we stand firm. It's not just a matter of what we say, but how we behave. So easy we can get up upon our soapbox and our high horse and, if you like, go off and judging the world and how bad it is and how sinful and how wicked the world is. But how do we behave when we're faced with opposition? Many of us know what it's like when people we, who know that we're Christians and uh, they come and they're all primed, they're all revved up to have a go at us. And we walk into it, we're like lambs to the slaughter. And very often we're caught unawares. And so often we react in different ways. Sometimes just by, we say, totally the wrong things because we're off guard. Sometimes we become aggressive or we may become defensive. Often we withdraw a little bit like Peter when he was confronted by the serving girl when Jesus, on the night that Jesus was arrested. If we're not careful, it's easy to make excuses because we don't want to be seen as different and so we do not stand for the gospel. We compromise our position. Paul, in encouraging the church in Philippi both as individuals but also as a body of God's people to stand for the sake of the gospel. But we don't stand alone. We stand in one spirit. He talks about standing in one spirit. And this again reminds us that we don't stand alone. We are part of God's family. We're part of God's people. And we stand together as one. Encouraged, comforted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In many parts of the world today, (coughs) Christians are suffering persecution, hardship and opposition for the sake of the gospel. Many of them, it's violent opposition. There are, I think I saw a a note on Facebook or something about the number of people and Christians who are killed every year because of their faith. And Paul here, again, is warning these Christians in Philippi and also Christians today that this is what they are going to have to face. At some time 
in our lives we face opposition. Okay, we perhaps don't face the opposition that some do in these days where we are. It comes and goes. The early church didn't always find itself, not always, but most of the time, being persecuted in opposition. And people, perhaps it may not apply to many of us here this evening. Those who have been brought up in a Christian home, who, do not, who haven't faced opposition at home, where those of us perhaps who have not been brought up in a Christian home found opposition in our homes to the gospel and to living for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't tend to use words in context with being a Christian like being brave and courageous these days. But Paul is telling these early Christians in Philippi just that. When he says to them, do not be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He's asking, telling them to stand firm, to be brave in the face of opposition. You see, Christianity right, isn't wimpish. I know that in the media so often it's portrayed that the Christian's the oddball. And to be honest, I've seen a few of them myself, and probably am one, but, and we see them as sort of not in, in men anyway, sorry lads, but in men, they're not very manly, are they? They tend to be a bit more, you know, touchy-feely. But Christians here are told not to be frightened and to stand for the gospel. And so easy as individuals or as a fellowship or as a church to want to water down the gospel to make it more acceptable. But we're told to stand firm and not to be frightened as we face opposition. And it is by conducting ourselves as citizens of the kingdom, it is when our focus is upon Christ and eternity, not just upon our present situation, that we are enabled to do this. In Romans 8 we read, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up (coughs) for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our confidence. This authenticates our faith and our message. In Romans 5, Paul talks about tribulation, working patience, and patience, hope. We often look back at the Reformation and at the Great Awakening. We like to look back and, you know, I mean, <coughs> I'm a little older than some and not nowhere near as old as others. But uh, we, like, we look back. One of the things you get older, you know, you can remember things of 40 years ago, but you can't remember the time or something that happened 20 minutes ago. But we like to look back and, you know, things always seem to be a lot better when, when I was young. Yeah? And we look back sometimes in the church and think, oh, it must have been much easier to be a Christian in the days of Wesley and Whitfield. God worked mightily in our land and also in the USA in those times. And so often we think it was plain sailing that these men stood and preached and thousands came to the Lord, which of course they did. But what we don't often remember or think about is that they faced opposition. They faced violent opposition. There were many who, over the time, gave their lives because they stood firm for the gospel. Men like Luther, Calvin, Whitfield, Wesley and others they face violent opposition for preaching the gospel. We live in Warsaw. You know, Wesley was driven out of Warsaw for preaching the gospel. These men went out to preach the gospel and they were pelted with stones and mud and other things for preaching the gospel. Because they stood firm for the gospel, we have the heritage that we have today. But it has always been a fact that even in this so-called Christian country of ours, that those who stand firm for the gospel have to face opposition. Not just from the secular society and world around them, but also from the established church. They lost their living. Some lost their lives. It says more about our faith when we stand firm in the face of adversity than it does when everything is going nice and everything seems fine. When people can turn to us and say, it's alright for you, everything in your life is just fine. I sometimes look at my brothers and sisters, perhaps around the world, where we see that they suffer and praise God for them. I look sometimes at brothers and sisters even here in this fellowship who we know are suffering in the circumstances of life and yet they remain faithful, joyful and steadfast. They are confident that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. And we have that confidence that 
The love of Christ that we have isn't just for this life and for this world and for this time, but it's for all eternity. When Paul says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Paul is saying that the fact that they are standing firm for the gospel, that they're standing firm and will not deny the Lord Jesus, despite everything that is said to them and everything that is done to them, then those who oppose them have to question why it is that they can behave in such a manner in adversity. When things come to us in our lives and how we react to them, people would expect us to to blame God We see it so often, you know, if there's a God, why has this happened to me? That is the reaction of the world. Not of those who know Christ. Men like Dawkins and others have got no answer to the hope that is within us. That we stand reassured because of the life that we have within us. It's not because we're super strong or super able. It's rather that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. We know that of ourselves, we cannot stand. We cannot face the opposition. We can't be brave or courageous. Yet we know that in Christ... We can do all things. It is by his power. And that's not just wishful thinking, but it's a fact. And we have the witness of men and women through the ages. Those who have given their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and do so today. Those who suffer rather than deny Christ. And we have the same spirit It's the same spirit within us as within them. It is is God's spirit. As Paul, as Peter, the disciples, men and women through the ages. As Paul reminds them, and he also reminds us, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Unity in standing together, standing firm. We do not stand alone, we stand together. However, we take heart in knowing that though we may suffer now, we have all eternity we have the certainty of eternity with Christ, which makes it all worthwhile. If our vision and our focus is only upon this world and the things of this world, the fleeting pleasures of this world, then 
we are going to be miserable Christians. But our eyes <coughs> are set on a higher goal. It is knowing that we will spend eternity with Christ that makes it all worthwhile. Because we're not living with our eyes just looking around us and what we've got now, but we're living with our eyes fixed upon the future. We're living in the light of Christ's return. We're living in the light of eternity. We have eternity's values, not just the values of this world in which we live. In chapter 2, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It is one thing to be standing firm for the gospel, but he asks them to make his joy complete. He reminds them of what they have in Christ, that we are united in Christ, and we know that, we're all different, we're all from different backgrounds. As I look out this evening, I can see that you're from, you know, we're all different ages, shapes, sizes. Some people come from different countries, but we're all different. And yet, we're different personalities, and yet we're all united as one in the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is, so often we forget that fact. So often we forget. It's a fact. We don't have to be united in Christ. We are united in Christ. We just don't live like it. We spend too much time bickering so often about unimportant things amongst ourselves. Instead of having our minds set upon the fact that we are one, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are comforted by his love and share the same spirit. The same spirit is in each of us. It's the same Holy Spirit given by God in you, in me. We are one in spirit. But this should make us tender and compassionate. Now, in a worldly sense, in the world, those who are brave and courageous, well, it makes them hard. They're the hard men. You know, the brave men, the strong men. You know, they don't cry. You know, they don't get upset, show emotion. They're hard. But that's not the case with the Christian. And this isn't split into two parts. You know, he's not men. I'm not calling the men to be brave and courageous and the women to be tender and compassionate as people so often think. It's all of us. Because in Christ there isn't a male or female. So ladies, boys and girls and men, we have to be brave and courageous. But also 
we have to be tender and compassionate. And it's because of these things are true of us. These things are true of us. We should be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That is, being of one mind, having a singleness of purpose, having the same goals, the same aims, the same focus, and as Tim reminded us last week about passion, the same passion for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Tony Blair, in the 1990-something or other, he, uh, when they came into government, and he set out the government's priorities by saying, education, education, education. Now, I'm going to get into the debate on whether they did it or not. That's something else. But that's what he said. He wanted to give emphasis to it. Education, education, education. With us as Christians, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It's all about Jesus. It's when we have this mindset, a mindset that's different from the world, because the world in which we live looks only to its own interests. But we do not look just to our own interest. We look to the interest of others for the sake of the Lord Jesus. It's not about what I want or what I like. <clears throat> it's about what's best for others. My brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about my status or my reputation. It's not about what will make me look good in the eyes of others. It's not about being self-assertive. As You know, in the world, I tell you, you have to be self-assertive. You've got to stand up for your rights, demand your rights. That's the world's view. It's not the Christian's view. So often, we value ourselves over others. Oh, we might deny this or perhaps fail to recognise it, but it's true. How often when we meet together are we actually looking for what, well, what's best for me? You know, we look for a church, don't we? We look for one that suits us. What's best for me? What I want? We come along on a Sunday or in the week and, uh, well... It's what's for me. What did I get out of it? What's in it for me? Rather than looking for others. So often with us, it's me, me, me. And even as Christians, it's something we battle against because that's our human nature and the world in which we live. We look at a meeting and say, well, I didn't get anything out of it, I'm not going again. The music was too loud, or was too boring. You know, the preacher wasn't very good, well, you can say that tonight, but not on other weeks. 
So I'm not going to bother going again because it didn't suit me. It's not about me. It's looking to support others. It's looking and seeking to build others up. It's what we're doing, building other people up. Encouraging others, you know. If we don't bother to come along on Thursday for the prayer meeting, well, it's just a prayer meeting, isn't it? It's cold out and it's a bit damp and I'm a bit tired. What about the person who's organising it, who's standing at the front and leading it? Do we think about being there to encourage them? Or is it all about me? Those of those who may consider themselves to be strong and mature are exhorted by Paul to bear with the weak. In Romans 15 we read these words, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Others first. You see, we have unity, we stand firm in suffering and in persecution. But we also stand firm in unity. Our light shines how we behave when we're opposed and in various circumstances when we're suffering, our light shines. But you know, what stops the Christian light shining so often is the fact that God's people are not shining in unity. And there's one people. So, how do we do this? How do we adopt this others first? Putting Christ first in our life and living and considering others above ourselves. Well, I'm going to be a little bit naughty because I'm actually going to steal a verse that Tim is going to speak from in a couple of weeks' time because it leads on and it's in verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When you're thinking about me, not me, but you, when you're thinking about yourself, when it's me, think about Christ. His humility, his suffering, his death, He came from the realms of glory into this world and live as a man, born in a stable, to suffer and to die for you and me. What have we got to be conceited about? What have we got to be proud about? Who are you? You know the world, you've heard people say, do they know who I am? What have we got to be proud about? We are what we are here this evening only by the grace of God. It is only by God's grace tonight that you're here under the sound of his word. It's only by his grace that you're not 
well, doing all sorts of terrible things that don't even bear thinking about. It's not because you're better. It's because of God's grace in your life. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. It's not about standing firm to, if you like, uphold our traditions or our reputation. It's about standing firm for Jesus. Standing firm for the gospel so that in so doing we bring glory to his holy name. Shall we close by standing to to sing a hymn, May the mind of Christ my Saviour.